This is picking up on the theme that we're going to be using for the next couple of weeks, which is going to take us through this time. You've heard staff are going away on retreat, and the elders are going away, and next week the children go away, and the youth workers, etc., and then you go. No, we all gather. Um, you've had a chance to go away. Hey, what do you mean? Gosh, welcome back, everyone, but it's nice to be together. And we're going into a week of prayer, and as you heard, that's going to be Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. in the morning, and then the evenings have sort of like focus points. So um, it's the Tuesday, the Thursday, and then the Saturday evenings a little bit earlier, and we're trying to just make it so that even if you do have to pick and choose, you've got some options there. Uh, You're obviously welcome to come to the whole lot. It will be a week of fasting, and I'm going to comment about that. And a little bit later on the WhatsApp, you'll get a beginner's guide to fasting, according to Craig. And, um, and that'll just give you a, a little handle on, uh, on what we're talking about over there. But the verse that we are uh, drawing on is in Revelation chapter 22, and it's verse 17. Let the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let the one who hears come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wills, who just wishes, take the free gift of the water of life or take the water of life at no cost. So I'm going to read it in context in Revelation And of course, this is the last chapter of the last letter or book in the Bible. And we're talking about Revelation chapter 22. And we've been through, as it were, this massive orchestral piece uh, called the book of Revelation, gathering, you know, literally hundreds of themes uh, that are emerging. But it's going to come to its climax, and its climax is in this idea of come. Come, come, and coming. Jesus has come. He does come. He comes even now, and he is coming. And those things look and see and feel and experience differently, but make no mistake, says Jesus. I am coming soon. So he says, look, see, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. This is literally the bookends of the Bible. God spoke, and there was light. And now we're entering into this time in the the purposes of God as we move towards what the Bible calls the end, and it's the goal and purpose for which we've been made. And so Jesus then says, blessed are those who wash their robes, and there's all the rich symbolism that goes with that, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates of the city. Outside the city, excluded from the city, as a result of the judgments that have been there, recorded faithfully throughout the book, And it's, you know, there's this sense of this evil and this 
powers that are causing chaos. They are beastly. They are the empires and the ambitions and the structures of humankind partnering with spiritual beings. And he's going, surely you don't want these things to have the final say. And the grateful answer is, no, they don't. They are outside. And you may not like that, but if you do want justice, if you do want righteousness, if you do want peace, if you do want healing, if you do want hope, you need a realm in which those things are outside. That is our hope. Our hope at the moment is not that we're not optimists who believe everything's just going to be fine and that bad things won't happen. Look around you. <laughs> bad things, really bad things are going on all the time. We're not optimists. We are people of hope. We're not pessimists either. Only, you know, nothing good. We're people of hope who carry in the midst of this broken world an understanding that our God has come, our God is coming, and our God will come. And that is going to define the reality of the story. And so outside are the dogs, the murderers, the idolaters, sorry, those who practice the magic art, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, sent my angel to give you plural. It's important to know that. It's not just to John. This is a gift to the church. I, Jesus, sent my messenger, sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. And again, he's, I am, I am the root and the offspring of David. He's not just the offspring, he's not just the seed of David. He's the root and the seed. Before Abram was, Jesus said, I am. I am the beginning, the end, the first, the last, the alpha, the omega. I am the bright morning star. He says at the sunset of time. And when you understand who he is, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears, let you say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. A little switch there. First, it was us calling out to God to come, to say, come, say, come. But the invitation, the passage is very clever. And it suddenly says, but you're not just waiting for him. He's waiting for me. He's waiting for you. Let the one who wills, let the one who wishes, take of the free gift of the water of life. And then there's this warning about this prophecy because we're very tempted to try and improve it or delete it or do whatever. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of the scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in the scroll. So you look at the plagues of the book of Revelation. If anyone takes away 
from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. In other words, don't do that. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Listen to the contemporary English version on this verse, verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Everyone who hears this should say, come. And if you're thirsty, you come. If you want life-giving water, come and take it. It's free. See, the reality is that God's invitation awakens our longing. The verse starts with our longing, but... As it were, when you realize that the verse finishes with God's invitation, you realize that your longing actually grew out of God's invitation. You're only saying to him, come, because something in you has been stirred by him. And that is the gift that God is offering us, the gift of himself. See, when we're inviting the Lord to come, we're wanting God himself. You know, that's what this prayer, that's what this fasting is. Prayer isn't another technique to, for well-being and getting what you want and convincing God to do what you say, you know. My will be done in heaven and on earth. Oh, in Jesus' name. No. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. Prayer is not a way to get God to do what we want. Prayer is a way to receive the gift of God himself. And we, we can't earn this gift. It's a gift. It's free. Take it. Take it. How do you? By faith. By faith, you take the gift of life. By faith, you take the gift of love. Why? Because by faith, you take the gift God gave in his own son, Jesus Christ. And so his love comes to us. So understand this. Prayer is not the basis or the foundation or the ground upon which our relationship with God rests. The only ground of a relationship with God that will stand the test of time is not anything we do. It is His grace. It's not our performance. It's not our works. It's not our prayer. It's a free gift. You're receiving something. If you're thirsty, if you're longing, if you're hoping, if you're waiting, God wants to give you the gift. Will you take it? Will you take it? The only thing on which we stand is grace. 
If we miss this, we turn prayer into an impossible burden in which I'm trying to pray enough to do what Jesus has already done, which is to atone for my sin and earn access to God. So remember that even the act of prayer is the freedom because of what he has done. I'm not earning anything. Which sets me free then from trying to pray in a way as if God should do anything. It's already done. I'm praying in the light of what's been accomplished and confident in him and in that relationship. So what is prayer then? Prayer is the crime. And prayer is the cup with which I drink. It calls to Jesus to come, but it also is the way in which, and the theologians call it a means of grace. In other words, if you'll take hold of this, you will receive the grace God has promised. You know, so if someone refuses to drink and they get thirsty, it's not the fault of the, you know, the person who offered them the drink. It's the fact that they didn't take it. They didn't take it. And so, God's invitation awakens our longing. Come, drink. I've got a, a pretty long quote. It's the longest quote I've ever had in a sermon, so I want you to hang in there. And it comes from a book Richard Foster wrote, Prayer, Finding the Heart's True Home. And he describes an encounter with the Lord that he had, uh, I think it was early 1992. And he writes this, God has graciously allowed me to catch a glimpse of his heart, and I want to share with you what I have seen. Today, the heart of God is an open wound of love. He aches over our distance and preoccupation. He mourns that we do not draw near to him. He grieves that we've forgotten him, and he weeps over our obsession with muchness and manyness. And all he longs for is our presence. And he is inviting you, he's inviting you to come home, to come to where we belong, to come to that for which we were being created. His arms are stretched wide to receive us, his heart is enlarged to take us in. But for too long we've been in a far country, a country of noise and hurry and crowds of climb and push and shove, a country of frustration, fear and intimidation. And he wants to welcome us home. Home to serenity and peace and joy. Home to friendship, fellowship, openness. Home to intimacy, acceptance, and affirmation. And we do not need to be shy. He invites us into the living room of his heart. Where we can put on old slippers and talk freely. He invites us into the kitchen of his friendship and chatter and batter, mixing good fun. He invites us into the dining room of his strength where we can feast to our heart's delight. He invites us into the study of his wisdom to learn and grow and stretch and ask all the questions we want. He invites us into the workshop of creativity where we can be co-laborers with him, working together for good to determine the outcome of events. He invites us into the bedroom of rest where our peace is found, and where we can unclothe and be vulnerable and free. 
invites us into deepest intimacy so that we know and are known. And the key to this heart, to this home, to this heart of God is prayer. It goes on to say, perhaps you've never prayed before in Sefton anguish or terror. Or it may be that the only time God's name has been on your lips has been in angry curse words. Never mind, I'm here to tell you God's heart is still open wide and you are welcome to come in. Perhaps you do not believe in prayer. Maybe you tried, you were profoundly disappointed, disillusioned, you seem to have little faith or none. Don't let that matter. The Father's heart is open wide. You're welcome to come in. Perhaps you're bruised, broken by the pressures of life. Others have wronged you. You feel scarred for life. You have old, painful memories that won't heal. You avoid prayer because you feel too distant, unworthy, or defiled. Do not despair. The Father's heart is open wide. Come in. Perhaps you've prayed for years, but the words are now brittle and cold. It seems nothing happens anymore. Is God remote? Is he inaccessible? I've got news for you. God's heart is open wide. Come home. Come in. Maybe prayer is the delight of your life. You've lived in its realm. You can attest to its goodness. Oh, but you long for more. More power, more love, more God. <laughs> Believe me, the Father's heart is open wide. Welcome. And so if the key is prayer, the door is Jesus Christ. How good of God to provide us a way to his heart. He knows we can be stiff-necked and hard-hearted. And so in Jesus, he's provided a means of entrance. Jesus, the Messiah Christ, lived a perfect life, died in our place, rose victorious over all the dark powers so that we might live through him. No longer do we have to stand outside, barred from the presence of God by our rebellion. We may now enter through the door of God's grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. God's invitation awakens our longing. If you're thirsty, come. If you're thirsty, come. This good God. Now, he's not going to leave us in all those places. He's not going to leave us in the pain, not going to leave us in the disappointment, not going to leave us in those places. He begins a journey with us. But the journey starts with accepting the invitation. Not just to believe, but to pray. Not just to believe, but to pray. Not just to believe, but in faith. 
to open the door and go in. So the longing. And I don't know when last you really let yourself feel hungry for God. Were you worried that it would take up too much time? Or were you worried that you might be somehow disappointed? Or maybe you're affected by the environment around us and you were worried it wouldn't work. God's invitation awakens longing and he says, if you're thirsty, come. If you're thirsty, drink. And so what that does is it awakens in us the cry to God, please come. It awakens prayer in us. It awakens the faith that prays in us, is the logic of the verse. And so the Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus is crying out, come. And the bride, the people of Jesus, and the Spirit in the people of Jesus, in fact, they together have one word, and it's a longing for all that Jesus brings, the bread of life, the Savior of the world, the Redeemer, the Healer, the Kingdom Bringer, and that one word is, come. Now, of course, he has. That's the mystery of the kingdom. Emmanuel, our God is with us. Our God has come. That's what blew them away in John chapter 6. God is here. He's feeding us. He's, the, the hope is present. Our God has come. And yet Jesus described a time when he would be absent, and he said, yet when two or three of you gather in my name, I will be there in amongst you. And so our God is coming. And he comes in the Pentecosts of life, and then he comes in multiple other spaces as well. And our God will come. And there's this promise deeply in this. And this gives us a hope and a confidence that I can live his way in the expectation that he will come. And so... I want to ask this question. What happens when he comes? According to Paul in Ephesians 3 verse 20, a lot more than we can ask or imagine. Well, the first thing that happens is that his love is poured out in power. If we go to that Ephesians 3 prayer, this is the expectation of Paul's great prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted, biological metaphor, and established building construction work metaphor, in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that goes beyond knowing. So that you may be filled to all the measure of all the fullness of God. 
When he comes, love comes. Love for God, love for each other. And if those are missing, then he's not present in the way he wants to be. Charles Finney was a lawyer in upstate New York. And he became known as one of the best evangelists in the 19th century in the United States, certainly. And he describes an encounter in 1821. When he was praying for God to come, and he said, the Holy Spirit descended on me in a manner that seemed to go through me, body and soul. I could feel the impression like a wave of electricity going through me. Indeed, it seemed to come like waves and waves of liquid love that felt like electricity. I recollect distinctly, he says, it seemed to fan me like immense wings. It seemed to me as these waves passed over me, they were literally moving my hair in the breeze. Now, this is an extraordinary experience, but this is what he says of the experience. No words can express the wonderful love that was poured into my heart. I wept aloud with joy and love. I do not know what I should say, so I bellowed out the unutterable gushings of my heart. I could multiply the examples, but it seems as though there are times when he comes that like the sun passing through a magnifying glass, it's as if the light and the heat and the power and the energy of that simply gets intensified and literally burnt into our souls, into our emotional center. Now, this is not arguing for emotionalism. It's just arguing that whenever you truly open yourself for him to come, you better be aware that you can't keep the lid on your emotions either. You've just got to let him come. You've just got to let him come. Love being poured in power. The second thing is that when he comes, his ministry gifts are released. Charles Finney's life was so transformed by that encounter, he went on to certainly shape the east coast of America and possibly the future history of the nation. It was true of the early church. They were waiting and waiting in prayer. And when the Lord came, their mission and ministry was transformed by the resources of heaven. And so his gifts are released. And whether it was the freedom people found, whether it was healing, whether it was justice and mercy and uh, overcoming equality, again and again we read in the story of the church how in the coming of Jesus, these gifts are released. And then in the coming of the gifts, his kingdom comes. That's what we pray for, your kingdom come. When he comes, the kingdom comes because the king has come. Now we understand. And this is the complicated space. And we will get to the book of Daniel. Um, 
This is not full and final in the sense that history will wrap up. And this prayer is praying for that final culmination. But it's also praying that we live now in the light of that, which expects his kingdom to come through his people who do his will. So when the kingdom comes, people find mercy. People break free from guilt and addictions. When the kingdom comes, we see in the book of Acts, whole households are saved, bodies are healed, communities spring up that advance holiness and justice, compassion, equality. They make restitution, they seek reconciliation, and they stand out in the midst of a dark world. You know, when we say yes to kingdom come, we're saying yes to the kind of living and praying that makes us mediators of every gospel benefit to the world around us. Think of it. Every gospel benefit. God wants us to be the mediators to human society and for the world to experience what it's like to see the kingdom in seed form in your life and in mine. And so as we prepare to pray, we're praying, Lord, pour out, pour out your love, pour out your gifts, pour out your kingdom and do among us that which will convince the world you are who you are. The other thing is that when the kingdom comes and we learn to pray, we find rest for our souls. Another invitation, Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me, all you who are weary, burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me. I am gentle, I am humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You see, Jesus lived on and ministered out of relationship and connection to the Father by the Spirit. And so he found this life actually refreshed him. And so in John chapter 4, when the Samaritan woman has spent time with Jesus and the disciples have gone off to get him food and they come back and he's literally announced himself as the Messiah for the first time with as many words noticeably to an outcast Samaritan. I mean, she was not just a Samaritan, she was an outcast among the Samaritans. Jesus goes to the edge of the world. Wasn't a powerful Roman, also a dispossessed person. Goes to literally the most vulnerable person in the world and says, I am he. I who speak to you am he. The disciples come and they say, Lord, how's your hamburger and a Coke? He says, I've had food to eat you know nothing about. He's so satisfied. He's so content. He's so fulfilled. And he's at rest. You see, when we live out of this place of drinking, We find ourselves refreshed. We find ourselves restored. We find ourselves refreshing others. Literally, people get to drink at your well. Because it's overflowing. 
See, when we learn to do life and ministry out of relationship, out of fullness, out of letting the Spirit come, my own soul is satisfied. It's not as if I may not drink, but I have to watch others do so. I'm not a slave. In fact, it's the life of God. Paul says, I'm actually struggling. I'm contending. The last verse in Colossians chapter 1. I, this life, this kingdom coming, it's, it's hard because it's so powerfully at work in me. And I'm, I'm, I'm working with it. I'm, I mean, the English sometimes is translated, I'm contending with, which could mean I'm fighting against. No, no, no. I'm harnessing, but it's the, the power of Jesus, the power of Messiah is working so powerfully in me, and that's how I'm working. Our ministry is not meant to empty us. When we minister out of him coming, we too are satisfied and loved and forgiven and healed. It's not as if we're saying to people, there it is. It's as if out of your innermost being flows rivers of living water. What happens when he comes? Our unity is strengthened. This is why we want to pray together. This is why we want to fast together. This is why we want to do this together. You know, Acts chapter 10 is uh, a, a chapter that treads onto like really complicated political territory. It was Jews and Palestinians, or Jews and Gentiles, and Jews and Romans. And it was no less fraught back then than it is right now. And into that space is a God-fearing Roman. You mean there were such things? Yes, his name was Cornelius. And he's praying and he's giving gifts to the poor and he's serving and he's waiting on God. And suddenly an angel comes to him and says, I've seen you. You've been heard. You're a marked man in a good way. But you need to send for Peter. Why did the angel not just tell him? Because Peter needed to learn that when he comes, we are going to be brought into unity. And so while Peter is praying, and believe me, Peter was not praying for just a few minutes. He was praying long enough to get really hungry. And then while they were preparing a meal, he carried on praying. And then he literally, the Greek says, fell into ecstasy. I don't know if that strikes you as weird. I mean, we translated, he fell into a trance. But literally, he's translated into a space where he begins to see this vision, and down comes the sheet, and there's all these creepy crawlies inside of it, and he says, I can't eat this, and God says, get up, kill and eat. Never, Lord. You should have known from Matthew 16, that's not a good line, Peter. <laughs> What happens 
as they begin, he goes and he shares the message. And I mean, the, the whole chapter is just amazing. Cornelius tells the story of the angel and everything and how the word of knowledge was to send to a man he didn't know. And then he's still, he's already gathered everyone, by the way. He's got the whole room full of family, friends, and all those people. And he said, an angel said, someone's walking through the door. And then Peter walks through the door. <laughs> like, as he starts to teach them about Jesus, suddenly he comes. He comes. And Peter has to stop preaching. Why? Because Jesus is in the room. Holy Spirit is in the room. And the nations, the Gentiles, these hated Romans and all their servants are starting to experience what it means to drink of the river of life. And they begin to overflow. They begin to overflow. They begin to pray in tongues. They begin to cry out to God. And Peter goes, there's no difference. We're one. We're together. We're united. He's come and it's made all the difference. When he comes, he unites us. And that's why we are praying. That's why we are praying. Come, 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 Holy Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, come, pour out your love in power. Come, release your gifts of ministry. Come, bring your kingdom to change your world in pain. Come, bring rest to our souls. Come and unite a broken, divided hostile world at enmity to itself. Don't you want to be praying, come? 